Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Strangers in Jerusalem YouTube channel and podcast, where we explore the Gospels and the Jesus traditions within their Jewish context. In this series of videos, there are three of them, we will discuss the idea of a Messiah, the notions of Messiah, uh, what that meant for Jews at the time of Jesus, but also the origins of the term. And then we'll, you know, we'll walk through, get to the, the generation of Jesus and look at how those Messianic traditions developed and uh, surfaced during the generation of Jesus. In this first video, we will look at just the origins of those Messianic ideas in the Hebrew scriptures. And then in the second video, we'll get into the, the age of Jesus, the generation of Jesus, and look at how Jews were writing about the Messiah. And then in the third video, we will bring in Jesus and discuss context uh, in the Gospels. So follow me, let's go to Jerusalem. The clip you just saw is from the movie The Life of Brian. You noticed, uh, so this is just a funny movie, but what this movie is, this is Monty Python. My students like this, I show this video, my students get a kick out of it, but what it's showing is that this guy named Brian was born in a stable next to Jesus, and at the beginning of the movie, the Magi, the, th the three wise men come to the stable, to Brian's stable, confusing him with Jesus, and they call him the Messiah. And so for the rest of Brian's life, he is confused with Jesus and people follow him as he's the Messiah. So he's saying, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah. So that's just a funny clip. But the question that this raises through this clip is why were people looking for a Messiah, specifically a Messiah? Why were they following him and what were they trying to do? Or him, not, not just Brian, but any Messianic figure as, as uh, portrayed through Brian, through that movie, what were they looking for? Let's start by looking back at the Hebrew Bible in the, the origins of the Messiah. So according to the New Testament, first century followers of Jesus referred to him, among other terms, lots of different terms, but they referred to him as Messiah, Son of God, Son of David, Son of Man, but also his adjudicators referred to him mockingly as King of the Jews. For many Christians today, these terms typically refer to a divine being who came in human form to provide salvation to humanity, but it's important to understand that when and where this notion of Messiah originated and how those titles, Son of God, Son of David, Son of Man, and King of the Jews, relate, if at all, to Messianic uh, notions and to Jesus. Messianism, as we call it, this, these notions of Messiah among Jews in the first centuries BC and AD is rooted in the ideology of kingship of earlier Israelite eras, so in the, in the Old Testament. The primary leaders in ancient Israel, particularly priests and kings, were anointed with oil at their coronation, or like in the case of priests, when they stepped into their position. The Hebrew Bible, or Old Testament, is chock full of references to the anointing of Israelite kings, usually by prophets. Israelite kings were frequently called the Lord's anointed or the Lord's Messiah in Hebrew, and then in Greek, it would be the Lord's Christ. In early Israelite literature, you know, days of the Old Testament, the root MSH, or Messiah, or Mashiach, in its various forms, meant to anoint or anointed one. This did not denote an awaited future agent of God who would come and deliver Israel from its enemies. 
like in the, in the end of days or the Messianic era. Instead, anointed ones were simply, it was, it was a term that was referred to the Israelite kings. And during certain time periods, priests. So even though non-Israelite king, uh, like Cyrus of Persia, was called his anointed. So even, even he was called his anointed. This is the only reference to a title, to this title in the book of Isaiah, referring to a king, even in this case, a Gentile king. The Israelite king was not only a Messiah, but a son of God. So surrounding ancient Near Eastern cultures, those of Canaan, Egypt, Mesopotamia, and Ugarit, influenced Israelite conceptions of kingship. The ancient Near Eastern kings were thought of by their people, by their constituents, to be divine and specifically referred to as sons of God. For example, in Assyria and Egypt, kings were thought to have, a, have attained divine status at or before birth. So there's, there's one passage where, there's, there's one example we have where the king of Egypt in the 8th century, so this is during the time of Isaiah, he referred to himself as, well, here's what he says, I am, I am he who was fashioned in the womb and created in the divine egg the seed of the God being in me. So he says, flat out, I am of divine race. I am I'm part God. In contrast, Hittite and Canaanite kings were believed to attain godhood at death. So like those of, of their neighboring nations, Israelite texts describe the king in relation to deity. So it's the same in Israelite literature. I don't, we don't know if they, were, they thought that the king was divine or just closely associated with the divine, but it's clear that they are. In many Near Eastern nations, the gods and the kings were associated with shepherd imagery. So, for example, in Egypt, the king was called the Good Shepherd. In uh, Samaria, the king was called Noble Shepherd. Hittite texts talk about their king as the shepherd of mankind, and also Assyrian texts refer to the king as a wise shepherd. So the shepherd imagery throughout the ancient Near East referred to kings. So in Israelite literature, just as God was identified as a shepherd of Israel, so too was the king. This God-King rhetoric in Israelite texts seems to be most salient in the, in the Psalms. Both Jehovah and King David, for example, will rule the sea. This is Psalm 89, that both of them will rule the sea. The enemies of both Jehovah and David will be scattered in Psalm 89. But more explicitly, King David is Yahweh's begotten son in Psalm 2 and his firstborn in Psalm 89. And he will sit at God's right hand in Psalm 110. So what is, who does that sound like? My begotten son, my firstborn son, he will, the king will sit at God's right hand. I mean, that sounds like Jesus, as according to the Gospels in later early Christian texts. The notion that the Israelite kings were both messiahs, anointed ones, and sons of God shaped views of the Messiah for later Jews. It seems that during the heyday of the monarchy, you know, Saul, David, Solomon, this time period, early Israelites tended to describe the king in terms that suggested divinity in some sense, or at least very close association with deity. Scholars are unsure exactly how the people viewed this, whether it was actually divine or some sort of a metaphorical language, regardless of whether Israelites viewed their king as literal or you know, metaphorical sons of God. We do know that Jews, after the exile to Babylon, interpreted the kingship passages in different ways, lots of different ways. And what this did is it led to a multiplicity of messianic expectations in the age of Jesus. Another title, so we have Mashiach and Christ, those, those terms meaning anointed one. Another title related to the word Messiah is the son of David. So although in ancient Israel, the title anointed one was generally associated with kings, it was primarily used in relation to the Davidic dynasty of the southern kingdom of Judah. So if, for example, in 2 Samuel 7, God covenanted with David. He did this through Nathan. But he covenanted with David that his offspring will be God's son in verse 14. And 
part of that covenant stated that the establishment of an everlasting throne and kingdom will be carried out by one of David's descendants. This idealized uh, Davidic dynasty continues through the prophetic books of the, of the Old Testament, but it intensifies either when the nation is threatened by foreign enemies or when the throne is not held by a Davidic king. So for example, Isaiah speaks of a future king who will have authority to bring endless peace to the throne and kingdom of David. This is in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Hosea, the prophet Hosea, also prophesies that although for a time Israel will be without a king, he says, God will eventually restore the Davidic line to the throne. And you can read about this in several prophets, Hosea 3, Amos 9, 11, Isaiah 55, and Jeremiah 23. Also the book of Ezekiel. In that book, Ezekiel predicts that during the exile, after the Davidic king had been dethroned, David will again be Israel's shepherd, is what he says in Ezekiel 34 and chapter 37. So we can see how this is, we can trace how this is being, how this is developing throughout the, the time period. But as we move along in the history, after Persia, so you had the Assyrians conquer Israel, then you had the Babylonians, then the Persians. After, after Persia conquered Babylonia, King Cyrus permitted Jews to return to Judea in 538 BC. However, he did not allow them to reestablish uh, an autonomous state. They, they couldn't govern themselves. Jews were therefore kingless, and not only during the Persian rule, but also during the Hellenistic or Greek domination of the region. So this time period, the period of the, the Persian rule and, and Greek rule, this is a period of 400 years from 539 to 142 BCE or BC. It seems that there was a, re during this time period, it seems that there was a reduced emphasis on the royal messianic figure who would restore Israel during most of its 400 year span. What we see during this time period is that the language once associated with Israel's kings in times past, like anointed one or son of God, these terms were transferred to the high priest who was the head of the Jewish people. The reason why the high priest was the head of Jewish people is because Jews did not have a king. They were subjected to the Greek kings and the Persian kings. But what we see is that during this 400 year span, messianic expectations shifted. And this is illustrated in the book of Daniel. Here in this book, we encounter a new messianic title. So before we had Messiah or Mashiach, we had Christ, we had the son of David, but we, now we get, we get a new term, the son of man. This term comes from the Hebrew Ben-Adam, son of, son of human, son of a human, and the Aramaic Bar-Enosh, also son of a human. So these, both of these terms mean a person or a human being. That's what they mean. The prophet Ezekiel, for example, is called a human being or son of man almost 100 times in, in the book of Ezekiel. So an angel comes and says, human being, human, right? Son of man. According to most scholars, the book of Daniel was produced in the early second century BC. So we're talking 100 to 150 years before Jesus. And this is concurrent with the Greek persecutions of the Jews between 175 and 64. In this book of, of Daniel, the author describes Daniel seeing a vision of four great beasts, which are believed to represent Babylonia, Medea, Persia, and Greece. Daniel then sees the, the, the Ancient of Days on a throne with another figure alongside. So he sees two sort of divine figures. And together, these figures will defeat and judge these nations. So here's what it says in Daniel 7. This is verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions and beheld one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that, that which shall not be destroyed. This figure in this passage is one like a son of man, meaning a divine figure who looked like a human. 
according to what Daniel sees. He sees this divine figure coming alongside God, who will look like a human, and he will have authority and will be worshipped by all people. Note also the language tying this figure to the Davidic kingship ideal, that he will be a king over an everlasting kingdom, and the clouds of heaven are also that the clouds of heaven link this figure to deity, according to several passages in the Hebrew Bible. So if you look at Exodus 34, 5, Psalm 104, verse 3, and Isaiah 19, 1, you will see that this divine figure is associated with the clouds of heaven, coming in the clouds of heaven. So scholar, I mean, scholars have debated the precise interpretation of this son of man figure in Daniel. So it's not, uh, this is still ongoing, this discussion. However, it seems that at minimum, the son of man figure had the appearance of a human and was some kind of a divine royal figure destined to defeat Israel's foreign enemies. When we move forward in time, so we get Daniel in the second century BC, but then when we get to the first century BC, or even maybe the first century CE, so now we're right at the generation, right before Jesus or during the generation where, where Jesus is as a, as a child, we get another text, the book of First Enoch, which also mentions the Son of Man. Now notice how, the develop, how this development occurs from, from 100 years prior. In First Enoch 46, it says, I saw the one to whom belongs the time before, before time, a pre-existent divine figure. And his head was white like wool, and there was with him another individual whose face was like that of a human being. This is the Son of Man whom you have seen. He is the one who would restore the kings and the mighty ones from their, from their comfortable seats and the strong ones from their thrones. So in this text also, you see a person who is divine, is like a, a divine type figure, and who looked like a human being. Here's another text I'll show you for First Enoch 48. And those, are, those listening on the podcast, you can't see these texts, but you can either look them up or go to the, to the YouTube version of this information. You can see these texts. It says in First Enoch 48, at that hour, that son of man was given a name. In the presence of the Lord of the spirits, the before time, his name was called before time. So he's a preexistent being. Even before the creation of the sun and the moon, before the creation of the stars, he was given a name in the presence of the Lord of the spirits. All those who dwell upon the earth shall fall and worship before him. And he has revealed the wisdom of the Lord of the spirits to the righteous and holy ones. For he has preserved the portion of the righteous because they have hated and despised this world of oppression together, together with all its ways of life and its habits and it is good pleasure that they have life. For they, the wicked kings and landowners, have denied the Lord of the spirits and his Messiah. So again, this is talking about son of man who will have dominion over, the, over all nations and will be associated with righteous, righteousness. And so what we, what we learn from all of these passages is that expectations of a divine messianic figure were circulating in the centuries before Jesus' ministry. The heavenly figure in Daniel, who looks like a son of man, was later called son of man in the book of first Enoch. So you can see how this human, this divine figure who looked like a human was called human, one, one like a human. But by the time you get to the first century, a hundred years later, it had, it had developed and they stopped calling this divine figure one who looked like a human or a son of man. And they, they just called this person the son of man, like the ultimate human being. That's where we get the term son of man. That's how it became a proper name. According to these, all these Jewish authors, this figure was a pre-existent being who was closely associated with God, would have dominion over all earthly kingdoms, would be worshipped by all people, would judge the wicked, would overthrow his enemies, would establish an everlasting kingdom, and would be the Messiah. So that's all for this video. Please click on the next video in part two, and then we'll move from the second century 
BC into the first century, into the time of Jesus. So check out that part two video. Also check out other videos in this YouTube channel and please subscribe and share this video with others. And also check out my recent book that explains a lot of these issues and more. The book is called A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew.